grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. again during this epiphany season as we continue to give all praise and glory to our epiphany Lord, meaning that the Lord Jesus shined forth in all his glory as the true Son of God, which means the payment that he made for the sins of the world would count for the entire world. In our sermon for this morning, we're going to consider the words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And just a small portion of it, it takes up several chapters, but the portion we're going to be considering is actually three commandments and how Jesus' teaching of those commandments greatly differed for the teachings of the religious leaders during that time. And we'll hear what Jesus has to say. Our first lesson for this sixth Sunday after Epiphany is found recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. This is the episode of David and Bathsheba. And as you hear these words, keep in mind the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Springtime arrived, the time when kings go out to war. David sent Joab out with his officers and with all Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David had gotten up from his couch and was walking around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very good looking. David sent to inquire about the woman, and he was told, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to bring her. She came to him, and he lay down with her. She had been purifying herself from her ceremonial uncleanness. She then returned to her house. The woman became pregnant, so she sent a message and told David, I am pregnant. David sent a message to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite to me. So Joab sent Uriah to David, and Uriah came to him. David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war effort was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. When Uriah went down from the palace, the king sent a gift to him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the servants of his master. He did not go down to his own house. David was informed, Uriah has not gone down to his house. So David said to Uriah, haven't you come a long distance? Why didn't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and the Israel of Judah and Judah are living in shelters, and my master Joab and the servants of my master are camped on the bare ground in the open countryside. Shall I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie down with my wife? By your life as surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also. Tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. 
David summoned him, and Uriah ate as his guest, and David got him drunk. But in the evening he went and slept on his mat where the servants of his master were. He did not go to his own house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it to in the hands of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Station Uriah opposite the fiercest fighting, then withdraw from behind him so that he will be struck down and die. So when Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that the enemy's strongest warriors were. The men of the city came out and fought against Joab, and some of the troops of David fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. The wife of Uriah the Hittite heard that her husband was dead, and so she mourned for her husband. When her mourning was complete, David sent for her and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. She gave birth to a son for him, but what David had done was evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, beyond this, brothers, just as you received instructions from us about how you are to walk so as to please God, as indeed you are doing, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you do so even more. To be sure, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Indeed, this is God's will, that you be sanctified, namely that you keep yourselves away from sexual immorality. He wants each of you to learn to, to obtain a wife for yourself in a way that is holy and honorable, not in lustful passion like the heathen who do not know God. No one is to overstep and take advantage of his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an adventure in all these things, just as we said previously and solemnly testified to you. For God did not call us for uncleanness, but in sanctification. Consequently, whoever rejects this is not rejecting a man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Concerning brotherly love, there is no need to write to you, but you yourselves have been taught by God with the result that you love one another. In fact, you are doing so toward all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do this even more and to make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, just as we instructed you. Do this so that you are conducting yourselves decently toward outsiders and are not lacking anything. The word of the Lord. For our gospel reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So if you are about to offer your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, 
leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If someone accuses you, reach an agreement with him quickly while you are with him on the way. Otherwise your accuser will bring you to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown in, into prison. Amen, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said that whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to be regarded as an adulteress. And whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, because it is God's throne, and not by earth, because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Whoever goes beyond these is from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning at the 21st verse. Since I had read this from the lectern, and it's a rather long section, and I will be going through it uh, piece by piece and part by part, um, um, I will suspend with reading at this time. Brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, you have probably maybe have heard someone say, that, boy, with all these different Christian churches, don't we all, when it really comes down to it, kind of teach the same thing? Yeah, there's differences, and some people get all bent out of the, the differences, but they're rather minor. Once again, we all believe the same thing. So it's not so much I look for a church that is, is teaching the Bible because everyone is teaching the same thing. Instead, I look for a church that kind of fits my style, kind of fits what I'm looking for. Maybe fits uh, the music I like, or maybe has a setup uh, that, that is welcoming for me, and a style that is really me. Now, it's easy to think that because there's so many different churches that we all basically teach the same thing, but the truth is we don't. And even at the time of Jesus, 
the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders. These are the people you go for, for religious advice. These were the people that translated the Old Testament. These were the ones that interpreted it. These were the ones you got your religious questions answered. And yet, Jesus disagreed with them and made it very clear. He did so in his Sermon on the Mount where he's preaching and teaching to the disciples that were there. And with this large group of disciples, as he's preaching to them, he keeps making this very unique phrase. It occurs several times in our text. He said, you have heard it said. In other words, this is what they've been teaching you. But I tell you, and what he tells us is the truth. And so he will bear the truth when it comes to three of the commandments. Now, the whole Sermon on the Mount is much longer than what is before us, but we're going to narrow down on these three commandments being the fifth commandment, being the sixth commandment, and also we're going to consider the second commandment in the order that Jesus presented them. You have heard that it was said, as we begin with the fifth commandment, that you shall not murder. Now, murder is really is taking someone else's own life because you're playing God with their life. This is not really talking about a soldier or a police officer who in the line of duty in order to protect its citizens will have to use a weapon and stop that person. No, this is about individuals playing God with someone else's life. And so it was taught and firmly believed that as long as you didn't end that person's life, no matter how you treated them, it was not breaking of the fifth commandment. But Jesus explains it completely different. He said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to judgment. That even being angry, which is obviously in a hateful way, holding hate and, and wanting to harm someone, even though you never harmed them, even though you never left, you never ended their life, just even the desire to do it is murder in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that sinful desires easily lead to sinful actions, so God even condemns sinful desires. The Apostle John, who would have been hearing these words, the Sermon on the Mount, in his first letter, writes this. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. Not only is hateful thoughts and desires against someone is murder, but even sinful words. He uses the example here of calling your brother Raka. You are answerable to the Sanhedrin. By the way, the word Raka is actually transliterated from the Greek language, which is actually taking the word from the Aramaic, from the Aramaic language. And we're not sure completely how to translate it. In fact, most, most translations just transliterate the word. Some translate the word as like numbskull or empty-headed, which maybe doesn't sound as bad, but it was meant to be bad. It was meant 
and the Jewish council. Or even saying, you fool. Now concerning this word, this word is actually in the original language where we get our English word moron from. And even calling someone a moron with evil and hateful intent in order to hurt them, hurt their feelings, put them down instead of building them up is murder in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, he said, you will be in danger of hellfire. Do not break the fifth commandment. My dear friends, he even gives us some beautiful examples here that as you apply and live with the fifth commandment, as you bring your gifts to the Lord, and, and the gifts obviously referring to the sacrifices that people would make, those animal sacrifices, or maybe it was even the grain sacrifices, which were thank sacrifices. If you're bringing your gift to the Lord to come and worship your Lord and to love your Lord, and yet you're hating another whom God has made, and you're going to hold a grudge and seek revenge, and even if you don't end their life, even harboring that hatred towards them, the Lord says to even leave that gift, leave the worship, and go and reconcile and make peace with them. And then come back and worship the Lord. Or he even gives a, another example of someone taking you to court. Are you going to hold your ground? Are you going to be stubborn? Are you going to fight them out? Wouldn't it be better, as Jesus pointed out here, to go and reconcile with them and make peace with them and, and work it out before you end up going before the judge where you could lose the case. And if you lose the case, the judge is going to hand you over to the officer who's going to put you in the prison and you'll be staying there until every last penny is paid. Wouldn't it be worth far better to work out a deal now than to fight it out and see if you can stick it to them? The truth of the matter is, my dear friends, murder is not just ending someone's life. It's anything you do to harm or hurt someone in thought, <coughs> word, and actions. I asked my catechism kids one time, have you ever broken the fifth commandment? And they would all answer no, because they've never taken someone's life. And then when we studied the lesson on hating and harming, they all had to admit, I too am guilty of the fifth commandment and breaking of it. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. The sixth commandment deals with God protecting sex and marriage. Sex because he only intended that gift for the realm of marriage. Any use of it outside of that realm is called sexual immorality. And here you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. So as long as you didn't commit the act itself, then technically you haven't broken this commandment. But once again, like the fifth commandment, sinful desires lead to sinful actions. So God even condemns the sinful desires. He says this, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The old saying, it's, it's as long as you don't touch, it's okay to look, is not what God teaches at all. Sinful desires 
is not meaning that looking at a woman is always sinful. And he's certainly not condemning that you should never look at a woman. But looking at a woman with sexual desires, wanting sexual relations, even if you never had those kind of relationships, even though you've never expressed it, is breaking of the sixth commandment in the eyes of the Lord. And does Jesus really mean this? Yes. He puts it this way. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off. Throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Knowing that we are by nature sinful human beings who have fallen short of God's glory, knowing that we have inherited this sinful nature that has cursed our very human nature. Boy, where, excuse me, where would we ever stop chopping up our bodies? Clearly, Jesus is talking in a figurative way here. But even in the light of that, it doesn't mean he's treating this as trivial or frivolously. He's very serious. Anything that could cause you eternal damnation and hell, anything that would cause you to fall away from Christ, anything that would keep you from heaven, cut it out. It's time to get rid of it. And in other words, if you've got a friend whom you really hold to as a dear friend, but they're causing or asking or tempting you to do something that would be evil and wrong, maybe that friend is not a friend at all. And maybe it's a type of friend we need to cut out. Or maybe there's things that you have eaten or drank and you know that when you do so, you lose self-control. These are things that are not healthy for the body. And in fact, they control you. Cut them out. If they cause you to lose your relationship with the Lord, it's not worth it. Jesus, by the way, goes on to give a an example like he did under the fifth commandment. And this time he brings up the example of divorce and marriage. He said, it was also said that whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So what was going on at the time is people were getting divorces left and right. And in order to keep some semblance of order of who belongs to whom, they would hand out certificates of divorce for those that wanted to end the marriage. And as long as you didn't want to be in the marriage, you could easily get you could easily get a certificate of the of a divorce. If your husband didn't put down the toilet seat, yeah, done, gone. Oh, if your wife burnt the food and wasn't very good at housekeeping, oh, yep, done, gone, certificate of divorce, and it became that easy. But Jesus goes on to say, "But I tell you." that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to be regarded as an adulteress. So you're going to end the relationship with your wife 
who's been faithful to you, who has not cheated on the marriage, who has not ended the trust in the marriage because you're just done or you want something else and, and because you're bored. Jesus actually condemned that kind of thinking and certainly those kind of practices. And besides, even if the wife is the innocent victim, you make her out to look like an adulteress. Nobody wins in a divorce. Everyone looks bad. And in addition, whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Because of this passage, I always teach that when it comes to a Christian marriage, marriages between one man and one woman who have an unconditional commitment to live together for life, but there's one more part. They must be truly single in God's eyes. I will always ask the question, have you been married to someone else? Because if their marriage did not end in a scriptural way, and the person has just ended the marriage, and therefore is just seeking another for the sake of selfishness and ungodliness, then I cannot marry that couple. I have to tell that wife, you go back to your husband, whom you have made a vow to. Understand, my dear friends, that marriage is not man's institution to do with whatever he wants. It's God's institution. And he intended it to be a blessing for mankind. And when it is done to the glory of God, it truly is a blessing. Now we come to the second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And God's name is everything that he reveals about himself in his holy word. In particular, Jesus focuses in on using God's name concerning taking an oath. It's called swearing. We usually use the word swearing like it's a curse word, but swearing is actually the taking of an oath. And at the time of Jesus, here's what he says. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. The thinking was at the time that if you made a vow in the name of the Lord, then you had to keep that vow. It would be sinful to break that vow. But if you would make the vow in the name of something else, then it would be okay to break it because you didn't make it in the name of the Lord. And Jesus points out to that, you can make a vow in the name of heaven, in the name of earth, in the name of Jerusalem, even in the name of your own head. But God is everywhere and is found everywhere. And besides, if you even make an oath in, 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 in the name of your head, can you really judge the color of your hair? Does that really mean anything? What Jesus is condemning here is this kind of swearing where we're trying to get people to believe that we're telling the truth. And so we come up with these sayings or these thinking that, that I'll swear in such a such a name, in such a such a way, when in actuality, what you're doing is needless swearing. And it really ne negates all of this taking of an oath. Instead, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Just tell the truth, and be honest. 
You don't need to swear by anything. Just let your yes be the answer yes. Let your no be the answer no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. Well, then what about court? What about if the government asks us to swear to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God? We will not hesitate to take such an oath, but then tell the truth. To lie would be the breaking of the second commandment. Once again, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. No more, no less. This is in keeping with God's holy will. In fact, all of these commandments are all being given and stated under the holy command, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's a command that certainly oversees even that one. It's the first and greatest of the commandments, to love your, the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We love the Lord not because we're trying to earn his favor and, and win for us eternal salvation. No. We keep these holy commands of God. We take to heart these holy commands of God out of love for the one and our Lord Jesus who is our epiphany Lord. The very one who did shine forth in all his glory as the true son of God. His miracles prove that over and over again that he is the one who did pay for our sins. Being fully man, he paid for those sins in full. And being fully God, that is a universal, there is a universal declaration that those sins are paid for everyone. God's invitation is to believe it and through faith in him we are saved. So follow the holy commands of your epiphany, Lord. And as you do so, take to heart these words. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.